With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Chapter 25 of Phoebe Daring. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amelia Chesley Phoebe Daring by L. Frank Baum Chapter 25 How Toby Won His Heritage Mrs. Ritchie was hoeing that afternoon in her vegetable garden, which adjoined the spacious farmhouse where she resided. She was attired in a faded calico dress and a weather-worn sunbonnet, and her heavy leather shoes were rusty and clogged by constant contact with the soil. There were several servants upon the plantation, and they were afforded an excellent example of industry by their mistress, who worked like a hired man herself and made everyone around her labor just as energetically. The arrival of lawyer Kellogg on his bicycle, which he had ridden over from Riverdale, did not interrupt Mrs. Ritchie's task. She merely gave her attorney an ungracious nod and said, Well, I've come over to see you about the trial, he announced. It begins next Thursday at Bayport, and I must know exactly what you want to do about Toby Clark. Give him a long sentence, the longer the better. He is sure to get that if we prove him guilty. She looked at him suspiciously. Why do you say if, she asked. Kellogg smiled. Any trial is uncertain, Mrs. Ritchie, said he. Unexpected things are liable to happen to change the probable verdict. I think we have enough evidence against Toby to prove our case, but those terrible children have greatly influenced popular opinion by means of their parades, and we can't tell who the jury will be or whether we can depend on them. Can't the jury be fixed, asked the woman, after some thought. It would cost a lot of money, and it isn't a safe thing to do, returned her lawyer, standing beside her as she hoed. And that reminds me to speak of my own expenses and fees. Well, what about them? You promised me a hundred dollars if I recovered the contents of your box. I've returned to you all your money, bonds, and papers, but you haven't paid me yet. There's a paper missing. One. I do not suppose you intend to withhold my money on that account. Why not? Because I should then sue you for it and the court would award me damages. She gave a contemptuous snort. Do you want the matter of the box aired? She asked. Do you want that will investigated, the paper which is missing? He retorted. Mrs. Ritchie laughed. I'll give you fifty dollars now and fifty when you get that last paper, said she. You'll give me a hundred now. The price of the paper was a thousand dollars. 
Have you got track of it yet? she asked quickly. No, I'm not going to undertake that trial for nothing, Mrs. Ritchie. There'll be a lot of work and expense about it, and if you want Toby Clark imprisoned for stealing your box, you've got to pay handsomely for it. How much? I want a hundred dollars in advance and two hundred more if I win. You're a thief, she snarled. No other lawyer would undertake the case at any price. It will make me very unpopular to prosecute Toby Clark. You're not much of a favorite now, said Mrs. Ritchie. Very well, I'll give you a hundred dollars. I want two hundred today, a hundred for recovering your property, and a hundred in advance for the trial. She dropped her hoe and stared at him. Then she sighed. Come into the house. You're a scoundrel, Abner Kellogg, and you ain't earned half the money, but I'll be generous. No, you'll be sensible, he said, following her up the path. You've got some secret that's worth money to you, Mrs. Ritchie, and which you don't care to have discovered, and it's connected with Toby Clark. That's a lie. She ushered him into the front room and left him there while she went to get the money. When she returned, she placed four fifty-dollar bills in his hand. Oh, cash is it, he said in a pleased tone. I don't trust banks. They're tricky. That's all the ready money I've got in the house. The rest is in a new box with Miles Hubbard over in Bayport. Why didn't you put it in my care? asked Kellogg. Because you're a dishonest cur. He reddened a little. Then why don't you employ Hubbard to prosecute Toby Clark? He wouldn't take the case. I see. Well, I've raised my price, Mrs. Ritchie. I want a hundred more in advance. You can't have it. I think I can. I won't be bled, Abner Kellogg. No, you prefer to bleed others. You insolent pettifogger! What do you mean by that? I mean that I want another hundred dollars before I make a single move in this case. While she sat glaring at him, an automobile stopped in the road before the house. The woman turned her head and through the window saw Phoebe Daring, Mr. Spaeth, and a stranger alight and enter the gate. Tell him I ain't at home, Kellogg, she exclaimed in a half-frightened voice. Better face the music, said the lawyer, who had noted the arrivals. If there's danger, as I suspect, face it boldly. You can't save the day by running away. You stand by me then, Kellogg. I'll give you the other hundred when they're gone. He smiled grimly, but there was no time for reply. The bell rang and Mrs. Ritchie went to the door. May we speak with you on business, Mrs. Ritchie, asked Mr. Spaeth. I'm busy with my lawyer. You'll have to come again. I'm glad your lawyer is here, said the banker gravely. I think you will need his advice. What about? If you'll permit us to enter, I will explain. Who's this other man, she asked curtly. The governor of the state. Mrs. Ritchie fell back, and they all entered the parlor. Good afternoon, your excellency, said Kellogg, with a low bow. The governor did not know the man, but he nodded to him. Well, asked the woman in harsh, rasping tones. I have called to see you in regard to the Alonzo Clark will, said Mr. Spaeth. She sank into a seat, but the cold, hard look never left her face. If she was at all startled, she retained her self-possession wonderfully. Who was Alonzo Clark, she asked, as if to gain time. Toby Clark's father, your second cousin. What about his will? You are the administrator. Well, that's my business. 
Not entirely, remarked the governor calmly. Your letters of administration require you to fulfill the terms of the will, or the property will be taken out of your hands by the court. Also, you are personally responsible for any, shall we say, irregularities you have committed. Well, you have not fulfilled the terms of the will, said Mr. Spaeth sternly. Who says so? The will itself. Somebody stole it. That does not matter. There is a copy on file in the probate's office. You have criminally disobeyed the injunctions of that will, Mrs. Ritchie, and applied such monies as you have received to your own personal use instead of to the support and education of Toby Clark. Toby Clark's a thief, and he'll go to prison for stealing my box, she snapped. We will not discuss Toby now, said Mr. Spaeth. Your own case demands your first attention. The governor will tell you the legal penalty for embezzling trust funds. State's prison, said the governor. Shucks, tell him he lies, Abner Kellogg, cried the woman. The governor is entirely correct, madam, answered the wily attorney. I trust, gentlemen, he added, you will acquit me of any complicity in this affair. I am merely hired by Mrs. Ritchie to prosecute the case of Toby Clark, and I know nothing of her past history or criminal acts. Oh, you turn against me, do you? she inquired angrily. I cannot defend you from so grave an offense, Mrs. Ritchie, said Kellogg. These gentlemen would not accuse you without proof, and the proof will send you to prison. She studied by turn the stern faces confronting her. What else have you got to say, she asked. If you wanted to send me to prison, you would have me arrested without taking the trouble to come here. That is true, returned Mr. Spaeth. I will explain. By chance, the will of Alonzo Clark fell into my hands, and on behalf of Toby Clark, I caused an investigation to be made. During the past seven years, there has been paid to you, as administrator of the estate of Toby Clark, a minor, in dividends on stock, the total sum of $48,480, up to the first of last month. You were entitled to retain 10% of this, provided you had performed your duties according to law. But since you have failed to do this, the entire amount must now be paid over to the new administrator whom the court will appoint, and this payment must be made whether you go to prison or not. Kellogg was amazed. He looked at Mrs. Ritchie with a glint of admiration in his eyes. Forty-eight thousand, and she's still grubbing with a hoe. Phoebe was also amazed by the immensity of the sum. She had not thought it would be nearly so large. She mentally figured that it meant an income of about 7000 a year, which would make Toby quite independent. Mrs. Ritchie did not deny Mr. Spaeth's assertion. She knew it would be useless. That will is my property, she said suddenly. I can have you arrested for stealing it. I will return the will, said Mr. Spaeth. It is no longer of use to me, nor to you, madam. Unless you voluntarily resign your trusteeship, it will be taken from you after a rigid investigation which will prove you guilty of embezzlement. Suppose I refuse to give up the money, said she. You don't know where it is, and you can't find it. You can take this farm away from me if you like, but it's only worth about 15000 If I go to jail, I can keep the cash I've put away and have it to use when I get free again. I believe, said the governor, you might be able to do that, and so defeat justice but let us consider what it would mean. My experience enables me to state that your term of imprisonment would be no less than twenty years, and perhaps more. 
I doubt if at your age you would live for twenty years in a prison, you who are so used to the open air. So your stolen money would be of no benefit to you. On the other hand, you might effect a compromise with us, and so keep the matter out of court. You have here sufficient property for all your needs, and the income from your plantation gives you more than a living. It occurs to me, Mrs. Ritchie, that you will find it more comfortable to end your days in freedom. She dropped her eyes in thought and stared at the carpet for a time. Then she asked gruffly, What do you demand? First, replied Mr. Spaythe, you must resign as administrator and petition the probate court to appoint someone in your place. You must furnish an exact statement of the money received and turn over the entire amount to the new administrator for the sole benefit of Toby Clark. In addition to this, we demand that you sign a statement for publication saying that your blue box was not stolen, but merely mislaid, and that you have recovered the entire contents. You will add that Toby Clark has been unjustly accused. I have prepared a statement to this effect, which is all ready for you to sign, and the governor will witness it so that it will never be questioned. But somebody stole that box, cried the woman, and whoever it was ought to suffer for it. Somebody stole Toby Clark's inheritance, replied Mr. Spaythe. I do not think it necessary for one to suffer for either crime, if amends are fully made, and no lasting evil can result. Mrs. Ritchie frowned. She looked from one to another and saw no signs of relenting in any face. Even Kellogg's fat face wore a sneer as he regarded her. So she surrendered. I'll sign the papers, she said. End of chapter 25